slash and cast. Welcome back, fiends, to Handle Whisker, presented by the Slash and, pa- uh, Slash and Cast Podcast Network. Man, it's already early, and I'm already fumbling the bag. Uh, our show discusses horror movies and the phobias they emphasize. Throughout September, we'll be taking a look at yatrophobia in horror movies, which is the extreme fear of doctors, as well as medical tests. But before introducing tonight's film, just a few general reminders. Of course, you can stay connected with us over on X at Handle with Scare, and be sure to join us every Tuesday night for our Twisted Tuesday Watch Parties. Those are hosted over at kick.com forward slash from drunk every Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Pacific Time. So joining me tonight, as always, is my co-host, Grindhouse Zombie. And Zombie, uh, you know, a bit of a snafu, uh, as you mentioned, uh, pre-stream. But, uh, you know, we are kicking things off with a little bit of 90s cheese. Uh, But how we got here was a kind of, you know, kind of a, a little bit of a blub, you know, so to speak. Well, let's just call it my Alzheimer's moment. Um, <laughs> thinking about back about these movies and why they scared me for one reason or another. Uh, as we were watching last night, and I, I have to apologize to our kick crowd for not only the quality of the movie, but for the fact that I picked the completely wrong one. Um, so I was thinking of the movie The Dentist that had Corbin Burnson in it. So so how did I come up with Dr. Giggles? Well, the only thing that I can think of is that Larry Drake stars as the doctor and Dr. Giggles, and both he and Corbin Burnson were on L.A. Law back in what uh, let's, might as well be the 1800s at this point because I'm that fucking old. <laughs> um, but I think that's where that came from because I was watching the movie last night, and I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? This is not... And then I did some Google later, and I just went, oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> um but yeah, so as long as we watched it, we might as well talk about it because as our as our friend Lonely Bob pointed out, it is pun upon pun upon pun, which yeah, the movie was far funnier than it was scary or gory. And mm-hmm. it was definitely missing one of the three primordial bees, yeah. um, which I, like, I mean, talk about a missed fucking opportunity. Um, but I, I think... We'll dig into it. It still has some interesting things to say. Um, watching Larry Drake star in a horror movie, I mean, it almost doesn't make any sense. But at the same time, it was still kind of cool. Mm-hmm. So we'll dive in. Absolutely. So just uh, general notes about the movie. Uh, so a Dr. Eagles being scored by Australian composer Brian May. Uh, May had basically uh, rose to fame by scoring movies like Mad Max, The Road Warrior, uh, and then before Doctor Giggles, uh, at, at least with like you know horror movies, he scored Freddy's Dead: The Final Nightmare. Uh, and you know as you would come to expect with the movie like this, when it came out, 
completely ripped apart by the critics, uh, primarily because of of the writing and the script. Uh, you know, Variety had called it uneven. Washington Post uh, basically saw the script as being in uh, critical, you know, condition, but was dead on arrival by the time the movie came out, just to, you know, keep with the the medical puns on that. But, you know, at the end of the day, with a movie like this, what the fuck are the critics expected from a comedy slasher with a giggling doctor killer? You know, like, come on. <laughs> well, and his giggle, honestly, was... I mean, let's call a spade a spade here. His giggle was pretty fucking priceless. Mm -hmm. It was. Just that... <laughs> Like, I mean, and it, it, to this day, I, I will admit that, like, I saw this. I mean, this came out in 1992, so that was the year I graduated high school. Okay, so a long time ago, a galaxy far, far away. But something about that giggle is absolutely priceless. But then at the same time, he uses it to different effect throughout the entirety of the movie. Um, which, again, for Larry Drake, I mean, it, an old school actor, but I think. A, not that well-known, and B, probably not that well-reposed, right? He, he, didn't, he didn't have a variety of things. I think, honestly, his, probably his biggest role ever was as a mentally retarded man on L.A. Law. So, I mean, so, so knowing that and, and knowing that he did all this, I, I, to be honest, I think he carried the character pretty well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, this was written and directed by Manny Cotto, uh, who also had a fear of hospitals and medical procedures. So, you know, it makes sense that he would uh, basically do a movie off of his own phobias. Uh, but Kato was basically, uh, before this, one of the top TV producers, having worked on things like Star Trek Enterprise. Uh, he also worked on some of Tales from the Crypt, The Outer Limits, 24. And then to go full circle with the medical theme, he'd also worked on Dexter as well. Uh, but at the time of, you know, Dr. Gill's coming out, it came out in October 1992, a uh, pretty busy uh, month at the box office. A week before that, we had the release of Candyman. And of course, Candyman saw a lot more commercial success, earning uh, $25.7 million compared to Dr. Gill's, which only had $8.4 million. So it wasn't necessarily a barn burner by any means at the box office. And, you know, this is one of those movies that over the course of time has kind of been often forgotten about. And, uh, you know, we'll kind of like kind of dig in why in regards to that here in a bit. Uh, but I I'm always really interested about casting choices and when it comes to these types of movies, not just like genre specific, but ones that lean more heavily into the comedy. And, you know, a couple of the other names that were floating around to play the role uh, of Rendell was uh, Ted Danson of Cheers fame. Uh, we also had up for parts were uh, Matt Frewer of uh, or AKA Max Headroom, uh, Jennifer Aniston, and Ashley Judd had also auditioned for the movie as well. Uh, but of course, you know, Jennifer Aniston was also doing Leprechaun uh, at the time of this. Uh, but as you mentioned, like, you know, Larry Drake at the time. Uh, and it's it's kind of like hard to say like where his fame was because he was kind of like near in his peak uh, when Doctor Giggles came out because as you mentioned when he uh, was acting in L.A. Law this was from like eighty seven to ninety four uh, he'd won two Emmys 
for his role in that TV show. Uh, but his other major theme that he did was uh, he played the villain in the cult classic Darkman. So that was like his other uh, bigger role at the time of this coming out. So not the first time he's actually gotten to play the villain. But yeah, obviously this is a completely different role in comparison to what we got out of Darkman. Well, yeah, going from this to Darkman, I mean, looking at Darkman and looking at how many times you see Darkman, but you see his face is covered in bandages and whatever else. So, I mean, looking at Larry Drake, he is not your stereotypical leading man. <laughs> He's just like not even a little bit. Um, that said, he has a fairly incredible screen presence for, you know, being a big guy and a big, big guy with a receding hairline. I mean, his facial features are not appealing, I guess you'd say. Um, but knowing him from L.A. Law, and, and I, I'm trying to think back on this, and I think that's a big piece of why I watched this, because L.A. Law was a huge thing back then, and you could not get away from it. And to what you said about him winning Emmys for his character's role there, I mean, there was a reason. There was a reason, because he he it, he was he did it superbly. So, I mean, if nothing else, it kind of tells me that it's nice to see that we can get some people that go against the grain as far as their looks and their whatever else, and they can still do well in Hollywood. Mm. Um, and, and there's something about that that I kind of always appreciate, um, just when people that aren't necessarily pretty and perfect and whatever else can get a good a good role and can do a lot with it. Now, was Dr. Giggles that exactly? Eh, you could probably argue. Maybe so, maybe not. Um, but still, his his character in this was very fun. Um, I, we talked a little bit earlier about how this movie was missing one of the formulaic three Bs. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, oddly enough, I, I never found myself distracted watching I never found myself looking at my phone or wanting to do something else. So for a call it of the corner of the room, bastardy stepchild sort of movie, um, it's still fairly engaging and you still want to pay attention and you want to see what's going on. So um, I, as far as that goes, I think honestly pretty well played. Yeah, I'm not going to say this is one that uh, everyone needs to rush out and see, uh, but it, as I said while we were watching it, it is definitely a movie of its time. Uh, and, you know, we, we have moments in this movie that uh, really encapsulate that. Like, for instance, uh, we have Dr. Mario making a product placement uh, in Dr. Giggles. Uh, which is a great moment because, uh, obviously, you know, Dr. Gills is going in to do a, a house call, so to speak, and, uh, you know, mm -hmm. sees a little boy playing Dr. Mario, and, uh, you know, just goes on with, uh, his business, and as he comes back after, you know, killing, uh, two of the people, uh, you know, he just looks at the kid, he's, <laughs> looks at how he's doing, the kid's not doing that well in the game, and just looks at him, yeah. and he's like terminal <laughs> and exactly. he just he just leaves the kid which is just fantastic so it really just shows you uh here in the early 90s just how powerful nintendo power actually it is it could save your life from a serial killer <laughs> well <laughs> yeah i think okay so i think a you're right um it, but i think it also t says something about um 
this movie in general because getting into the 90s yeah there definitely was a point where nintendo would stick its shit into anything didn't really kind of matter um but i also think for our our killer mm-hmm. okay um being the game was Dr. Mario and then flashing back in the movie when the kid was operating on his stuffed bear and the dad was so proud. Um, it, even though he called him quote unquote terminal, I also think that that was a little bit of his way of seeing maybe a little bit of potential. And it's like, this kid didn't need to die. And mm-hmm. I get it that it's, it's sort of tropey of the early nineties stuff where the serial killers, shied away from children either they totally did and it's odd because i mean at this point we're into the early 90s we're we're away from the satanic panic we've gone through all that we've sort of we're on the verge of getting past the video nasties right and still like between the the lack of the 1b and then the not ever like going after a child you know um it, it's it's kind of quite an impressive thing. Now, with the story of this whole guy, um, I'll admit, I find the whole story pretty compelling. Like, I enjoy the story. I enjoy the why of what's going on. Now, is it a little bit is it a little bit uh, derivative? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean. Any serial killer movie of of the era who didn't escape from a mental hospital, right? I mean, on any given day, I mean, people might think I escaped from a mental hospital. So it's like it's not not that much of a stretch, but it was well done enough. And the way the movie started, it was like hard hitting and fast enough. But also tropey enough where it made it fun. And I, I think for me, the thing that really tied everything together, at least with the with the mythology or the mythos of the character, was the fact that we did have that nursery rhyme attached to the killer, uh, which goes, <clears throat> our town has a doctor and his name is Rendell. Uh, stay away from his house because he's a doctor from hell. He chopped up his patients, every last one, and cut out their hearts purely for fun. So if you're from more high and you should get sick, then fall on your knees and pray you die quick. And that's something that, you know, we, we've seen the whole nursery rhyme thing in, in a couple of movies. But I, I just love that, you know, when things like this come out, it really helps bring that story of that killer to life. And it just adds a little bit more to it rather than just like having, you know, a no name psycho escaping the mental health. You know, there's a reason behind the madness, so to speak here. Well, yeah, but it also does give you that little bit of a tangent where maybe maybe tangent's the wrong word, but the, the father being sort of the first killer Mm -hmm. um, and searching and killing people but what was he doing? He was killing people because he was searching for a heart for his wife. Right. Um, and that, I think, is a piece that most of us can basically understand. Like, what like what lengths would you go to to save a loved one? So I think it honestly makes it very digestible mm-hmm. in terms of, like, why am I doing this? Now, granted, when it gets over to the kid and the kid is then doing his thing, then it becomes a little bit of... You know, 
I saw mommy fucking Santa Claus sort of thing. Um, and so it, it's not quite as profound, but I mean, at, at least with the dad, it was like, yeah, I totally get that. Like my wife's dying. So I should have this giant basket of hearts where I, I hold up and I'm kind of sizing and shaping and doing whatever else. So it makes a lot of sense, but with the kid and I suppose we should get to this a little bit later, but when we first meet Dr. Giggles, you know, and he's he's in the sanitarium and nobody knows who he is. He's been there for ages um, and he thinks he's a doctor. And the one part that I struggle with is that he seems to know a lot about modern medicine, but everything he learned was from his dad early on. So it's like, like, what was he doing when he was in the common room at the nut house? Was he reading medical journals? Because I, I, I don't exactly know what was going on. Um, but getting back to some of his, we'll call it his punnery, because there were so many times where it's like, you should take your vitamins or here's an injection. And it's like, sometimes you just kind of roll your eyes, but you're like... <laughs> Okay, you know what? That shit's so funny. So that's fine. That's <laughs> fine. Just do it. Just do it. <laughs> yeah, I think you should get a second opinion. Uh, to, but to your point, though, what is, you know, in the nut house, you know, was he playing Dr. Mario? I have no fucking idea. I don't know how else he would know that, uh, you know, the kid was losing at, at the time of, of that happening. But uh, yeah, I totally see your point, though. But, you know, with a movie like this, you can't think about it too much because, you know, otherwise you're going to go down a rabbit hole. And uh, we, we saw where that led us with uh, the last one. In. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's it's kind of an easy thing to do. And like I said, now that we have, and, and by we, I mean me, have copped to the fact that this, I picked the completely wrong fucking movie, <laughs> mm -hmm. which there's a, there's a piece of me that's just like, Jesus Christ. I And I'm going to say it again. I should probably drink less, but whatever. <laughs> Um, but this movie, I, I do remember it and I do remember it from being 18 years old and it was like, okay, here's a great horror movie. And, and it has to be said, waiting with bated breath for a pair of boobs. And there's not one in the entire, there's not, there's, 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 not. there's, there's not living ones. Well, yeah, but the dead ones. <laughs> That are sort of swollen, and then a small child cuts his way out of it. Yeah, that doesn't count. <laughs> that does not count, because that's not what I was looking for when I was 18, okay? Um, but still, I mean, the story is good. The characters are pretty good. Um, Dr. Giggles, in and of himself, he's a pretty imposing guy. He's he's definitely, you know, he gets you, he gets you off access pretty quick when he comes into a room, and it's one of the things I think he's great at doing through the whole movie is walking into a room and just turning everything upside down. Mm -hmm. And then it's just a matter of you hanging on from there. Um, so yeah, I mean, is he going to be the best serial killer ever? Nah, not really, but he's honestly, and his name notwithstanding, he's, he's a lot of fun. Yeah, he is. And I, I will say the, the opening sequences of this movie, when you do see uh, Dr. Giggles making his escape from the mental hospital, 
It's just so over the top and comedic in the best way possible because, you know, early on you're like, okay, well, where the hell is this going? And then as soon as you realize, like, oh, shit, he's actually let all the patients out. And then you see them all up in, like, the observation room looking down uh, during this whole op operation that uh, he's clearly in no mind to actually be doing right now. Just pieces everything together perfectly. So I thought it was, like... It starts you off on a really high note, and, uh, you know, where it goes after that, you know, you can see, you know, it might fall off a little bit, but, you know, it, it definitely grabs your attention right from the get-go, which is really important for something that is going to be extremely campy in the long run. So, you know, when it comes to these comedic slashers, obviously, your mileage is going to vary. You know, we, we had a wave <laughs> of, you know, obviously... You know, Nightmare on Elm Street leading more into the comedic route further in the installments. Of course, uh, you also look at, uh, you know, Leprechaun primarily too, which had way more like one-liners over the course of the series as well. Uh, so this kind of like came out at a weirder time where it's like, well, we've already kind of like gone past that point. So the timing of it is a little bit off because it, it felt like this was one or two years behind schedule from where it should have been uh, in regards to the rest of the other genre releases. Because when you compare it to something like Candyman, for example, which came out a week before this, you know, you're talking about two completely different tones of style of, you know, horror movies and just storytelling in general. You know, one is... Uh, more well-rounded and more grounded, but both of them do kind of carry, uh, you know, that mythos behind the killer, which is great to see. But the Candyman story obviously has echoed a lot more over the years, as opposed to something like Doc Dr. Gills, which has kind of been, uh, I'm not going to say it's been given the Atari ET treatment, uh, but it has been one that hasn't necessarily gotten as much attention as some of the other 90 slashers out there. Well, sure. It's it's certainly been washed a little bit. Um, it was funny thinking about this and the movie that this one uh, conjures the most for me is a movie called Student Bodies. Um, and it's almost now Student Bodies does a, does a little bit more of the keeping the killer hidden while giving him a personality, you know. Um, and the, all the subtle things, and it's like the galoshes. Why do I wear them? It isn't even raining, you know. Shit, just like the this sort of subtle, funny shit. But with Doctor Giggles, it puts it kind of right out in front of you. Like, I mean, you kind of know who it is. It's not. It, there's really no surprise. But it does a fairly good job of making him kind of semi-relatable, um, and it, even more than being making making him relatable, giving him a voice. Um, and, you know, there are times where you see him and he's by himself and he's just he's thinking and he's talking through things. And now, granted, most of it sounds like madness. Like, I totally get that. But uh, I would also say that there's, you know, times where we I hate to use a psycho term here, but we all go a little mad sometimes. <laughs> and but it makes him. It makes him oddly more approachable. Um, but then his his puns and his humor uh, it sort of knock you back on your feet a little bit, so you you keep kind of sort of thinking, and it's like, then you get to a certain age. Like when I was in, when I first saw this, it was like I was rooting for the kids. You know, I <laughs> I was totally rooting for them, 
the last time I watched this, I was rooting for Dr. Giggles. So, I mean, it kind of tells you, like, maybe not how far the movie's come, but, like, how far I've come as a viewer. Um, and it's like, I was, yeah, fucking kill them all, dude, because they're all just annoying as hell, so just kill them. Um, but it, one of those rare things where you can see, and especially in American slasher movie, one that's, you know, not covered in sequels, it does not have a specific lore built up behind it, something somebody created from scratch, but is still interesting enough to keep me watching, and this one did it. And it's interesting, too, because uh, Dark Horse Entertainment was one of the production companies behind this feature, and they did go mm-hmm. on to do some comics about Dr. Giggles, but they only really had two issues, so it really kind of tells you that uh, because of its poor performance in the box office that it kind of, like, put everything on hold. Um, but I I want to go down and track those comics just to see, uh, like how much gore is involved in them knowing you know obviously like there was quite a bit that needed to be cut from this movie in order to make the r rating being that it was the early 90s and the you know mpaa were all over you know horror movies dicks at the time about uh the amount of gore that you could actually show on screen uh but very traditional to you know slashers we do have our final girl in this movie we have jennifer campbell uh, and all of this is taking place over the course of the summer break. And, uh, you know, Jennifer pretty upset in regards to, like, family troubles that they're dealing with. Uh, add on the fact that she is dealing with a heart condition herself and being forced to wear a heart monitor. Uh, so that ties nicely into the backstory of our killer in this. Because, obviously, he sees a little bit of his mom in Jennifer <laughs> uh, because of this. Uh, but, you know, like, like really early on, you know, we we kind of like peel back the layers of why Jennifer is under so much stress with this condition, even though, you know, the operation that she potentially needs is very routine. And, of course, there's the backstory of her mom and how she died and how, you know, she had gone in for a routine operation and then Jennifer never saw her mom again. So it just adds another layer to that. Um but yeah, definitely, definitely an interesting thing, and it's not, it's not really a condition that we see like a mainstay character have in a slasher movie. Well, yeah, and I think most of that kind of revolves on the fact that if you have a mainstay character and they have a heart condition, they are not able to run, they're not <laughs> able to escape, they're not able to get anywhere without oxygen and you know everything else so but i think they do a good a good job of early in the movie especially with her doctor of saying yeah it's not really that bad mm-hmm. you know it's just like it could get you you know and then with her wearing the heart monitor and there's that point where she's like out at a party and people are like what the hell is that and she's like she gets home and she says fuck it and pulls off the heart monitor and throws it in a fish tank and it's like that is almost exactly what I would expect a young person to do. Just get fed up and be like, fuck this, I'm not going to do it. Um, so I think that plays out perfectly. Um, but, you know, getting more into the movie and... I See, I don't know. It, there's a piece of me where a lot of the things that the, you know, Dr. Giggles does to her farther into the movie seem a little misguided maybe Mm -hmm. is the word like 
like, okay, I get it. Your mother had a heart problem and you're trying to fix her. But like, would you ever like walk into a room and be like with two giant 1950s-esque paddles, shock your mother to the point where her heart stops so you could try to replace it? And it's like, I, gosh, I don't think so. But uh, still, I mean, I hate to say it because, like I said last night when we were watching this, this movie is definitely not a barn burner, but there's a piece of me that really still likes it. (laughs) And I don't know why. That's the worst part is I really don't know why. And maybe, and I'm going to go out on a limb here and probably insult half of the male population of the earth by saying they left out boobs (laughs) and gave me just a tiny bit more character. Because between the doctor, between her dad, between the sheriff, or at least the sheriff's deputy and his story, Mm -hmm. um, and... Because there's a there's a flashback in this movie that is to fucking die for. Um, so maybe this is one of those rare times where a horror movie took a took a little bit of a chance and they gave us like I mean, not too much backstory, but like enough backstory where you kinda just went, Oh. Well, okay, a lot of that kind of makes sense. And but didn't oversaturate and just it, it was it was not one of those I'm gonna continue the story necessarily, but I'm gonna fill in the blanks for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes filling in the blanks is enough. I don't need to have the story furthered by the flashback, but sometimes it's okay to just be like, Oh, okay, okay, yeah, that all makes sense now. Yeah, why so why, the- why why is the deputy trying to shut down like uh the younger kids? you know, investigation into uh, knowing, like, who the killer actually is. Yeah, it's because he was fucking traumatized. <laughs> well, 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 exactly right. And he was traumatized by the initial police scene mm-hmm. from way back when. And, I mean, let's be honest here. What the fuck did he see? What he saw was, and I would argue maybe one of the top 10 most kick-ass scenes in horror ever. It was by far the best sequence in this movie. (laughs) Well, the best sequence in this movie, I would agree, but when you think about horror and you think about all the things that you see, Mm -hmm. when you see a bloated body on a gurney and you see a scalpel come from inside and split it from stem to stern and you see a six- to eight-year-old boy climb out He's missing teeth like a kid would be, but it's just like, I'm sorry, that was fucking awesome. It's, that was it's very awesome. striking. Oh god, it was awesome. Yeah, Whew. yeah, give me tingles. I'm getting tingles. <laughs> yeah, one of the other uh, sequences that I really liked, and you know, I'm not gonna say it's as effective, uh, but when Doctor Giggles is doing the uh, mouth point of view shot. <laughs> <laughs> when oh, he's using yes. the mouth dispenser in someone's mouth. That was definitely pretty striking, too. Uh, so obviously, you know, they made this giant mouth prop uh, along with the big prop for the mouth dispenser. And, you know, ho- the whole time he's just like, you know, trying to, you know, inspect scene, you know, what's going on before, uh, you know, going in for the kill. But just a shot of it from inside the mouth. And, you know, for them, I would say it, it looked pretty realistic. But obviously, like, in regards to, like, of scale, you know, it was a little bit 
all over the place. But it was just one of those scenes where it's like, it really took me back as just like that other scene that you were just mentioning. It was like something that I sat back. I'm like, I definitely have not seen this done in another movie either. So there were at least two sequences there where I'm just like, all right, those are both noteworthy. There's something that helps separate it from some of the other movies that have come out. Uh, not necessarily just, you know, medical specific, but I I always tend to like movies that, you know, take chances and do something different because those are the ones that often uh, leave a more lasting impression. And for me, like those two scenes were more than enough to like satiate my bloodlust for this movie. Oh, absolutely. And so I think that's well, twofold. I think that scene was, we'll say, borrowed from Little Shop of Horrors because they definitely did that in Little Shop of Horrors. But they also did that scene in The Dentist, which is I think is another reason why I connected the two. Okay. There was there was some good open mouth scenes like that. So and again, I, I've said it before, I should probably drink less. Things would be clear, <laughs> but whatever. I'm not gonna do that. So let's just ride this shit until it's done. Um, but I, between those two scenes, yes, I mean, and I think that was, um, that was dad's girlfriend, as I recall. And she was the one where dad was going to go out. He's like, I have to go find her. And she's like, I'm not going. And then she got the, she got the dentist treatment. And, you know, there was a piece of me that really thought that it's like, okay, so you, you know, you got the, the older guy who's got a little bit of money and whatever else. I mean, if this is not akin to my life, I don't know what it is. Um, but and it's like, hey, my daughter's in trouble. And she's like, well, I'm not go I'm just not going to do it, you know. Mm -hmm. And then she's sitting in her room that all of a sudden it was like she's getting the and I think this is another piece where like the whole dental exam thing. That's another part where I got a little mixed up again because <laughs> awesome sauce. But that scene was so it was profound for a couple of reasons. It was profound in the effects, but it was also profound in the yeah, I'm in this whole thing with the dad but i'm sort of not all the way in and i think uh, for me personally that the, the tone that i took away from it was that well okay so you're here doing this thing but you're really not going to be all the way in so not being all the way in kind of tells you how things are going to go later mm -hmm. so you sort of got it and i was sort of okay with it and so going back to uh after dr giggles makes his grand escape uh, very traditional sense in regards to, you know, villain storytelling. Of course, he goes back to his childhood home, uh, which, of course, always tends to be the first step of any serial killer uh, in this case. Uh, and then this is when he gets his father's files uh, and he starts to gather up all of the folders, gets a list of names. Uh, and that's when he starts to go after a lot of the residents of Morhai. Uh, and, of course, you know, really early on, it focuses on kind of like, you know, the high school parties of the time. Of course, all of the kids are looking to go to the uh, the makeout point or whatever the fuck they ended up calling in this movie. I can't remember off the top of my head because uh, I didn't write that down. Uh, but, of course, you know, the cops uh, being a little bit more uh, older... I've obviously, like, they know the ordeal. They they know what the meetup spot is and everything. And, uh, you know, they're quick to shut that shit down, as you would come to expect. But, of course, you always have to have a backup plan if things get awry. And sure enough, all the high schoolers are just thinking, like, all right, let's, uh, 
let's just take the party to the abandoned house because, you know, that's always the best place to throw a kegger. <laughs> well, and uh, so many parts of this house, because they do use the house earlier on where they have um, the two that go there and they lock their friends inside. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so being the semi the semi-awoke, almost 50-year-old guy that I am, there are things that I see in movies now that I didn't see back then. And with the the guy and his girlfriend, um, this is going to sound fucking terrible. Feel, <laughs> feel, feel free to cut this out if you need to, but those first friends were basically token one and token two. Mm -hmm. You know? And... I thought that was a little bit disappointing because it's like they really could have done more with that instead of being like, this is going to be the kill house for later. Mm -hmm. um, but then the other piece of that whole house is it's like, and I'm sure it exists somewhere, but I cannot imagine a house somewhere that has like these super, a house now, somebody's house that has, you know, all these clean hallways where there's operating theaters and like, but in somebody's house, you know, um, probably the one thing that always bothered me about, uh, the show six feet under, like I could never imagine having, you know, your own little mortuary in your basement. That's just mm -hmm. creepy as fuck. Um, but maybe that was kind of the point. Um, but it just weirds me out that like, even when you get to the end of the movie and everything's just exploding, it's like, this is all, how is it? Uh, okay, all right, fine. Um, just like having to take it for what it's worth, but it just doesn't seem it doesn't seem reasonable or palatable that you'd have that. Now, I, I don't have any experience with it, so maybe that's why. But it it it, it adds a little bit of something to it, like a little bit of off-puttingness or a little bit of like, can you imagine growing up in that house where you're a kid and you know that there's operating rooms or patient recovery rooms in your basement? And if you could, who's down there right now? <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> and I love, too, that during all of this, the high schoolers are making it a point to, uh, when they're searching the house, they're trying to find any sort of hidden doors because they want to know how the son had escaped all those years ago. Uh, which, of okay. course, you know, we, we mentioned, you know, we learn about later on uh, with the whole cutting out of the gut uh, sequence. But I thought that was a pretty nice touch because it, it, it also, like, tells us, like, all right, you know, obviously the a lot of the kids or just the town in general knows the story behind this house. A lot of them tend to try to avoid it, as you would come to expect. You know, they're always giving it looks or they're wary of passing by it if they're on their way home uh, walking from, you know, whatever they're doing at the time. Uh, but of course, you know, the the couple or the would be couple gets locked inside and, uh, you know, it doesn't take long for the guy to start to pull a prank on the girl, even though he's trying to get with her. And, you know, he does the whole like fake out like, oh, no, someone attacked me bit as you would come to expect. And then sure enough, just moments after that, uh, he gets a poison needle to uh, I think it was the back of his neck. Uh, that sounds right. When he gets I mean, injected. yeah. I mean, okay, either way, two things, two things here. <laughs> so the lore building, I think, in this is, is very, very fun, where 
and and you said it like like how did this kid get out and nobody knows so that's a super fun a fairly creative um piece of lore especially for a 90s horror movie um how did the person escape i mean and there's other movies that played it off later maybe played it off a little better but it doesn't really matter mm-hmm. the second part is when you're trying to score with a chick everything this guy did is the opposite of what you want to do <laughs> if you want to get laid all of it okay that what you want to do is some flowers, maybe a small bottle of booze, because you don't want her too tanked up because she can cry rape later. I mean, you, 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 just, you want to do things simple, and none of what this guy did was anything that you want to even remotely do. Um, but I think that they did a really good job here of turning the house almost into a character in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I think... If you want to talk about movies that have turned the house, the domicile, into a character, there's a pretty select few that did that really well. I mean, and you really are talking Halloween. You're talking Psycho. Um, the original movie House, the house was a character. People Under the Stairs, the house was a character. So if you if you look at this for what it is, and I'm not going to call it a cult classic, but I'm going to call it one of my favorites, Um it's got some pretty lofty company when it comes to building some scenery into a character. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, in regards to like the poison injection, they actually did it through the keyhole. So it was actually hitting more of his lower back at the time of that. Uh, But of course, you know, they do tease that tension of eye trauma. Uh, They don't actually like go through with the eye trauma, but they're always, they're always teasing that. See, you know, it's not, uh, you know, we're not uh, doing any sort of, like, Italian horror, so obviously, like, they're not going to do the needle through the eye socket like we've been accustomed to seeing time and time again. Uh, and really, not not a ton of, like, American slashers have uh, done it to, to too much success anyway. Uh, but, you know, definitely, in regards to the kills of this movie, there's a, just a wide assortment of kills. And, of course, they're all very unique in their own right because we are using different uh, medical gadgets and gizmos, whatever you want to call them, uh, in this case. So, you know, just... Instruments. Just, yeah, <laughs> instruments. Uh, to each their own. Uh, and, of course, they get more modernized as the movie progresses, which is also kind of confusing, too, uh, later on, especially. Uh, so, you know, we have the poison injections. We have uh, nasal probing, uh, driving straight into someone's brain through the nose, which is fantastic. Uh, we also have someone get impaled through the mouth with a thermometer, uh, after he's, you know, checking someone's, uh, temperature. Uh, that was the one, that was the one spot where I thought he should have gone in anally, but that's just me. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, to each their own. Uh, <laughs> uh, we, we also have someone's, uh, genitals being cut off and slit, and throat slit with, uh, scalpels. Let's see. Uh, we also have the the stomach pump device uh, with the stomach getting ripped apart. Now that, okay, that is another one of those scenes where it's just like, man, what the fuck is going on in this movie? <laughs> because, you know, they do the whole like, uh, you know, what goes up must come down ordeal. But, you know, what goes in yeah. must come out. And uh, yeah, pretty fucking nasty <laughs> in that sequence. Well, that, I think, was a shot at the early 90s, um, you know, people getting liposuction and all that kind of stuff. But that's that's what I think it was a shot at. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and for for having been alive in that age i mean it makes it makes total sense now there's definitely a mechanism missing there like you couldn't just turn that and it would I, I don't know of a medical instrument that you could stick down someone's throat and it just turns their insides into fucking jello and then pumps <laughs> them out. Um, but, but you know, but, but again, fair enough. Let's just, let, let's just go with it and see what kind of happens. Uh, but definitely a place where, and, and there was a couple of spots in this movie too, where they did, like, I thought they took a shot at like the, for the time, the, the cosmetic culture, I think, but which tells me that this insane guy in his, you know, in his spot, the institution clearly had some access to some medical drugs because he was keeping up, you know. So um, I thought like that piece of trying to keep up with like the medical stuff was actually kind of impressive, you know. Um, and for somebody who was rebirthed from a corpse at, you know, eight years old, missing eight teeth and just being like a little hissing vampire kid. um, pretty impressive for his medical knowledge i mean he, he, he kind of knew some shit and then get into what you were talking about with the instrumentation we definitely had a lot of stuff over the course of time where it, it was constantly evolving but then i think towards the end that's when it got a little bit uh a sort of roadrunner and coyote and it got a little like the acme box of dynamite where it was like i have this thing and i just pull it and it gets to four feet wide, and it will cut your head off, sever both of your legs, and then pull out your appendix and shove it up your butt at the same time. <laughs> like, that's impressive that you pulled all that off in one move, you know? But the, the stuff at the end, honestly, especially with the with the final doctor who is trying to do the, the quote-unquote heart surgery, um, I, honestly, some of that was... I don't know, man. You give me a good piece of surgical chrome... You're gonna get me every time. You just are. <laughs> See, it, there's there's one of two ways to doing this or looking at it because at the same time it was also kind of like a callback to uh, older medical instruments, which for all intents and purposes really were, uh, for lack of better terms, torture devices. <laughs> <laughs> so when you see like these really like wacky contraptions coming out of uh, of the back at that point, and you had the the one doctor being like. What the hell are you gonna do with that? Like, yeah, like, what are you going to do with that? Obviously, like, he had some pretty big plans, but yes, it does really get over the top, and it really lets your imagination run wild as to like what sort of shit can go down, and how much blood's gonna be involved, and just what it can do to your insides and your outsides, and it's just man, it's just just not something I really want to talk about because uh, it obviously the imagination uh, is way worse than probably what uh, they would actually show in this case. That was one of the places I was really surprised when they had all this medical stuff is that they shied away from... Um, they sort of mix mix things up, but there's an instrument called a trocar, um, and it, it has a lot of purposes, but um, its earlier iteration was the lobotomizer. And that was one of the things I was surprised that they shied away from. They didn't ever have, like, he didn't ever give anybody a lobotomy for their hysteria. And for for as many opportunities as they had to do that, they didn't do it. And it really kind of surprised me that he just, you know, he didn't do the, the quick stir and tap with the hammer. I, I thought he would have done that to somebody, but alas, I was disappointed that he didn't do his part to mitigate hysteria. 
but that's okay. Yeah, I, I don't think we could talk about this movie without talking about the doctor fight. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, we I would call this a duel, but uh, it didn't really come off like that. So here's here's part of the problem. Uh, one, just the fact that they're both doctors or would be doctors, uh, depending on how you want to look at it. Two, they're only using <laughs> medical instruments during this battle. <laughs> so, you know, you're looking at, you know, the one doctor and, uh, God, I don't, I don't obviously know the name of all these medical instruments, but the one that, you know, they check your reflexes with and hit you on the knee. Uh, make sure everything's intact there. So he's yeah, using he's a, it's a reflex hammer. It's a reflex yeah, hammer. Yeah. So he's he, he's using that, and I'm just like, well, I don't know like what sort of damage that's actually gonna do, regardless of the size of the actual hammer. Uh it's rubber. In it's this rubber. Case. That's the best part. It's, like, <laughs> it's just he's beating the shit out of him with a rubber hammer that's in a metal frame. And like I I think you could probably give somebody a pretty good bruise with that. I'm not sure you could whack the fuck out of somebody with that hammer. <laughs> It was just one of those scenes where it's like, as I'm watching it play out, I'm just thinking like, oh my god, <laughs> where's this going? And then it just, it felt like that, just that scene in particular was a point where I'm like, okay, this is officially, we're at the point where the wheels have fallen off. How are we going to ride this ship? But thankfully, with the introduction of new medical instruments at the end, I was like, okay, at least we had a saving grace at the end, so it more than made up for it. But just the whole time, I'm just watching this battle take place, and I'm just like, what are we doing here? You know, it just felt really comical, but not really in a good way. It was just more comical in the sense that it was sad to the point where I was almost in tears. <laughs> yeah, it sort of felt like a fist fight between golf buddies, and then it got reduced to, like, a slap fest. That's what, like, because, you know, guys that play golf for a living wouldn't know how to fight you know and in the end it'd just be like just just slap 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 um they did have a couple of cool i mean because dr giggles had that uh i guess what you'd call a cranial saw although i don't think it was i i I look at that saw and i've seen it in a number of movies now i saw that in this movie i saw it in the remake of the crazies and it just seems like the most dangerous fucking thing you could ever touch. Mm-hmm. Um, like, and I don't think I, I don't like if someone was like, here's your tool, I'd be like, nope, I quit. I don't <laughs> think so. Um, so, I mean, yeah, d- definitely using all the medical stuff, but just the fight itself. Um, there were so many parts of it that like they tried to build it and they tried to build it. And then it just, it just honestly lacked inspiration. It was just like, and nope and nope and nope <laughs> i mean to a point where i think the, the 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 main the actual real doctor had like a piece of railing from one of the beds and he was using that as his and it was like yeah to your point like what the fuck are you doing like this that doesn't make any like there's got to be like okay somebody punch somebody just like, like let's have an actual fight not this like i'm gonna throw everything in the desk drawer at you until you surrender thing Mm-hmm. Yeah. just not the uh, I don't know some of the some of those scenes especially getting towards the end of this movie where they have these medical things and I think A the average person doesn't know what they are B 
if I think I know what it is, it seems a little antiquated, especially like the uh, the paddles for the, um, you know, given the uh, old heart that jump start mm-hmm. seem like this seems like some Frankenstein esque shit here. So I'm not even sure what you're doing. Um, I, but, you know, yeah, they battle it out and our our poor heroine. And again, back to the we're in this house but there's somehow a complete surgical theater and hospital ward underneath that might have been that might have been to me the most disconcerting thing ever is that they were still in somebody's house and when they when they went scene to scene especially like kind of when they fell into the basement and she was trying to climb back up and do all that it's like it a little bit of that took me out of it because like set and surrounding wise it's like well, how are you just in a surgical theater, you know, being being shocked to your death, effectively, so you could have a heart transplant, and he was going through his basket of hearts going, which one fits? And it, didn't it, didn't it also seem like she was dead for a long fucking time <laughs> before yeah. he was like, oh, I'll do a little mouth-to-mouth and... Yeah, yeah, dead. Meanwhile, uh, Dr. Giggles is going through the heart buckets, uh, basically doing Goldilocks the whole time, trying to find one that's just the right size for Uh, Jennifer's body. Well, and I think that's it. And it's like, and that, I'll say it again. The, I do think the, having all the surgical stuff in the bottom of the house was really cool, but it was also super off-putting when it came like to scene changes because it's like you could fall through a vent and then all of a sudden you're in the dusty basement mm-hmm. or you could climb up a set of stairs but then the stairs break then you can't get back up there and then when you get back up then all of a sudden you're back in the hospital and you're running through the corridors it's like where the fuck are we like what like what is this place and i get it they tried to set it up early from the beginning but it never it never clicked for me mm-hmm. Yeah, and of course, uh, getting back to the the end of the duel, <laughs> uh, we basically have a little bit of a suffocation going on uh, with another one of the instruments uh, when he's basically, you know, just checking blood pressure. Uh, only in this case, you know, it's wrapped around uh, the doctor's <laughs> neck. <laughs> It's just like, and but the thing about this is, it's just it is so comically large compared to like what the tool actually is. <laughs> that you know when you're looking at it, it just looks like a giant bandage, really. I'm just like, well, mm, that's really not what that's supposed to be. Uh, not, obviously not its intent either. Uh, but you know because we are having a doctor duel, we have to use it. It is a medical instrument. And, uh, you know, if we got it laying around, we got to use it. That's basically uh, uh, the rules of this movie. They're going to use whatever is within reach, regardless of uh, if it's disposable or not, really. <laughs> well, I think you said it, though. I think uh, it the, the, the movie's name is Dr. Giggles. So, mm-hmm. I mean, when it comes down to some of the apparatus that he uses, and it is uh, comically large, comically small, comically outdated... <laughs> comically Terminator into the future shit. Mm-hmm. It doesn't kind of really matter. There's a point where you just have to go, yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> why not? You know? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, oh, I, shit, I know. I, I, 
And like I said, I'll say it again. I apologize for completely <laughs> picking the wrong fucking movie. Because <laughs> this was not what I had intended. So perhaps my choosing abilities should be suspended for at least a month or something. Because clearly I fucked this one up really badly. <laughs> well, it happens to the best of us. Uh, so it, it is what it is. You know, I, I still enjoyed it, but it's definitely one of those wet... Like, when I look back, I'm like, yeah, you know, I haven't seen this in 20 years. <laughs> so it's like, it's 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 due for a, a, a rewatch. But it's just one of those scenes where, you know, since I did watch it like 20 years ago, I did not remember anything about this movie before going in, outside of the fact that, uh, obviously, the, the name of the character was on purpose, and it just wasn't like, oh, yeah, we're just... We're just doing it for a joke. No, he has a comical laugh about him. That's why they call him Dr. Giggles. It all makes sense. Well, but even the Dr. Giggles part, they have a they have a flashback in the movie where and it's right when his mother dies mm -hmm. that his he sees his father kind of over his mother's body and his father seems to be sobbing, you know, but then the sob turns into a giggle um, and I don't know, there's a little piece of me that's like, well, sure. I mean, some of us, you know, some of us go to a funeral and we can't contain our laughter, you know, because we have something inside of us that's weird. And I think that they use that sort of effectively. But at the same time, with this little kid, it's like they use that little kid to sort of build up this grown-up character, but they do so many things that make that grown-up character, like, he never had a fucking chance, right? I mean, he just mm -hmm. never had a chance. Um, and going from, like, the pulling, out the, stuff, the, the pulling the stuff out of the teddy bear, and then Dad comes home and he's like, Dad, I want to be a doctor. And Dad's like, great, son. You know, and it's like, okay, the kid's like six. Maybe just be like, okay, good boy, and maybe don't dissect shit in the living room when, when no one's looking. Mm -hmm. um, but that giggle, I think, obviously, Dr. Giggles, I mean, it, it really is his sort of hallmark, trademark. Um, but even later, after he's been, you know, he's been shot, you know, and I still, I still love the surgical scene where he's operating on himself, but he's still shouting out commands. You know, I need suction. You know, I need a retractor. And, but he's doing all this surgery to himself through a mirror. I mean, I think that's really the part where they said that this guy's fucking insane. <laughs> I mean, just legit insane. Um, and then right at the end, though, when he's sewing himself, and he's like, doctor, heal thyself. And it's like, kind of what you said before some of it is so over the top it's just like it's like mind bending over the top like like so somebody wrote that somebody wrote that and somebody <laughs> else went that's awesome that's exactly the line we need here and then somebody filmed it it's like oh like well okay sure but like i could have wrote that like i like i i get that so um yeah you know you're right a, a movie that you know if you're bored sometime revisit but uh, definitely not something that needs to go on your call it your your top 10 list 
But then, you know, even even at the very end of it, where after they burn up the house and they have the, the gas tanks and the gas tanks are whistling and flaming and the whole place blows up. And again, they have the flames down the hospital corridors mm-hmm. underneath a regular house, which is still just fucks with my mind like you would not believe. And going back to our our heroine, who was never naked, neither were any of her friends, so that's just still disappointing. Um, but trying to get her surgery, and then he pops up again, and now he's all blistered and whatever else, and he's like, but I'm her doctor. You know, <laughs> I mean, I I wish they would have done a tiny, tiny bit better of a job cementing why he cared so much about her having this heart transplant. Because I get the mother part of it, but they didn't ever give you a line or, you know, a, a smidgen of dialogue that was like, this is why, or give you a flashback as to why, you know, like he was so hung up on that. I mean, I get having your mother die is traumatic. I get that. But it's like, connect it for me somehow. And they didn't, and they, they didn't really do that. So that was kind of disappointing to me. Yeah, there was no moment where he's just piecing it together where it's like, you know, by saving you meant I could have saved her or anything like that. Yes. Exactly right. Um, but yeah, of course, you know, getting towards the tail end of the movie, you know, we, we do kind of have like that break in the fourth wall moment <laughs> when uh, when Dr. Giggles just looks over to the camera and, you know, he has another one liner. I'm try- I think it was like, is there a doctor in the house? Before he finally yeah. collapses right at the end. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's after she basically uses a modern day um what the hell would you even call it uh, uh paddles basically yeah, to the defibrillator you know thank you a defibrillator big words look at the big <laughs> words on it look at the big words on a t there wow okay um but yeah and so like it's it's kind of like everything has kind of come full circle because he's been using a lot of antiquated equipment right and then he has his own like just something I came up with equipment that's all just fucking Iron Maiden torture porn shit all day long. And yet there's still no porn in this, which is still disappointing, but we'll let that one go. Just med Um, porn. (laughs) uh, Pretty pretty much. I mean, you know, and if you're, I mean, there were so many moments in this movie where, I mean, like even when we meet, we first meet our heroine and she's jogging across the quad and she's brawless. And it was like, this is going to be pretty good. And then, It never is. It's just like you have the stepmom. Stepmom, we could have flayed and laid all day long. Nope, nothing. Um, the blondie bitch friend that she had could have done all kinds. Of, I mean, there were so many moments, and it's like, I, the, other than the one dead body that the kid came out of with the scalpel, which, let's face it, was fucking rad. That was fucking rad when that kid came out. Oh my god. Like even even watching last night with our with our kick crew, people were just like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, "Hey, this is a flashback." This is and then everyone was like, "Oh, still, what the fuck?" You know, because it was so. I mean, to watch that scene and just to watch the scalpel come out of the chest and just go all the way down and the kids stand up. I mean, that was. In terms of horror and in terms of scenes and things that you see. That was fucking spectacular. I mean, it was really spectacular. And there's not too many movies these days, whether it's a body horror movie or a slasher movie, that you see scenes like that. 
So that was just, oh, that was fucking mind blowing. But yeah, then, then you get into the hand, end, and then just like like his staggering and st- and is there a doctor in the house? And he just kind of goes, Bump. it's like, I mean, yeah, I mean, they did wrap it up nicely. You know, the boyfriend lived and the dad lived. I mean, and I think you never want someone to lose their, lose their love interest in, and and then at a point where they've already lost their mother, mm-hmm. you don't want the dad to die too. You know, so. They did. They did put a cute little bow on the end of it, um, and I, I, you know, I, I, I guess I could, I could take or leave it. But uh, if I'm going to be who I am as a person, it's, it's nice to know that you get to survive and you got some people to help you cope. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, getting back to uh, the three Bs really quick. You know, really the only time there was any sort of like sexual tension in this movie. Uh, was when all the kids are, you know, at this party, uh, with a bunch of band equipment around, mind you. <laughs> and you have the scene with, like, the, the blonde and, uh, oh, playing Je- Jennifer's sax- boyfriend, <laughs> Max, <laughs> playing the saxophone. And, like, they're doing, yeah. like, all of this thing, like, with the, with the finger holes and, you know, how to put your mouth right on the mouthpiece. And she's like sucking it, and like he's trying to give her uh, yeah. pointers, and it's just like, yeah. oh my god! Well, it was, it was, it was all right there. Really <laughs> I mean, because like I know what a saxophone, like, because I've I, I've raised kids, and mm. we were we had band kids around, and I've seen what a saxophone looks like when it's played. You don't swallow it up to the first button. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's just the very end. You got to get on, stand the reed. Got to stand the reed. You don't just go. Oh. <laughs> But again, I mean, but I think that was that was our sexuality, and that's mm-hmm. what they that's what they had. And I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, um, it made me want to be Bill Clinton. So, <laughs> um, so I get it. There's a piece of it that I totally get. So, uh, you know, uh, yeah, you know, yes, th- this was not a, this was not an early '90s or even late '80s slasher where. There's boobs everywhere and whatever else. Um, but the sexuality sort of came through. It, a lot of it was sort of weird and awkward, but mm-hmm. it came through. Um, and it, worse comes to worse. If I get to the end of this movie and I've enjoyed my time with it, I definitely don't want to go to the doctor. I don't want to pick the wrong movie. And then I also don't want to ever go into the Clinton camp where somebody might play the saxophone because it would just creep me the shit out. So, <laughs> no, I get it. Yeah. Ooh, I should have left that one in. Ooh, that was impressive. <laughs> wow. Oh. All right, so, so uh, looking ahead. We, I think you're, we... I think you're up and I'm, I'm, is it, is it a pathology? Yeah. So next week, yes, okay. uh, we're gonna have a first time watch for for grind test. We're watching Pathology, which was released in two thousand and eight, uh, which stars Alyssa Milano. <laughs> oh, okay. Well. Uh, in this, so uh, I I will say, and I, I already mentioned this to you, it does definitely have a little bit of a Flatliners vibe to it. Um, but it was just one of those movies that, you know, when it comes to 
med med horror movies. It was one of those that uh, was completely different for me, and I remember like really being drawn into it when it came out at the time. And it's been a long time since I've seen this one too, so I'm hoping that uh, it it still lives up to my expectations from what I remember on my first watch through. Um, okay. But should be a good time. Again, we'll be streaming that on Tuesday over on Kick. Uh, next Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, again, that's at kick.com forward slash totally drunk. Uh, but it's available to uh, stream on Tubi and the Roku channel if you have either of those, or you can just rent it, uh, you know, at all the typical places on that. Uh, but that's coming up next week, and it's got like a 95-minute runtime. So again, not a very stereotypical runtime for our horror movies that we have been reviewing here as of late. Oh, perfect. About about 85 minutes longer than either one of us could go on a good night. Perfect. <laughs> um, well, I, I wanted to say, so I so I was in the mood today for some horror, but like the lighter side of horror. Okay. I, I needed something that was, I, I just, I needed some horror comfort food. So I actually went to the theater and I watched the um, R.L. Stein's Zombie Town. Okay. And, okay. And I'll tell you what, it was kind of adorable and kind of fun i was really surprised by that um it the greatest story ever no but dan Aykroyd, chevy chase in a movie together so you, you pretty much got me right there you throw zombies in well then i'm just yeah i mean it, you know rock out with your popcorn out um it, it, kind of fun kind of just kind of fun kind of fun to watch good story there's a of age blonde in there, super spectacular ass. High waisted jeans, not a fan, but whatever, that's fine. Um, but kind of fun, and <laughs> one of those movies where you get to the end of it, and it, it's like this—I don't want to call it a super happy ending because it's not super happy, but it's pretty close to super happy ending. Um, but fun characters, fun story, whatever else. And then tomorrow is the Nun Two. Mm-hmm. And I almost been on my radar for a while, so I'm kind of looking forward to that. So we'll uh, we'll report back next time and tell um, the the various listeners, all all six of you, what we <laughs> what we thought of. Um, well, there's more than six; it's like nine, but that's fine. Um, but uh, yeah, so like we're getting into the we're getting into the spooky season, and there's lots of stuff coming out, and I'm just kind of chomping at the bit here. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Now, what he means by we're in spooky season, he means in the traditional sense, not in the I watch horror movies year round sense. <laughs> like spirit Halloween stores are open nationwide sense. You know, that's what he's meaning. Uh, but yeah, obviously, The Nun 2 comes out this week. Um, I'm not going to say I'm super excited just because like if I'm talking theatrical mainstream horror releases, The Nun is quite possibly in my bottom five of the past decade. But I'm still going to go see this one. I have higher expectations for this one just based off of, um, you know, just how, how the recent trends have been for the genre. Uh, and, you know, the, the storytelling of this one does seem to be a bit better. And hopefully it's not just going to be like one cool sequence like The Nun was. One that I'm just left like, oh, well, I guess... I got to score it based off of that, but I didn't really have too much to go off of outside of it. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. But obviously, you know, we got a ton of stuff coming out here in the next couple of months. 
So I'm not gonna say they're kicking it into high gear, but obviously we got more uh, more streamlined releases coming out here over the next, you know, six to eight weeks. So definitely a lot more to look forward to uh, on that front. And I don't even know about the other one that you would just mention. So that's always a plus too. Well, it was an R.L. Stein book. So, right. I mean, kind of is what it is. It's PG-13, whatever. Um, but sometimes, sometimes it's okay to just go, you know what? I feel like watching this and you just watch it. And um, it was, the story was solid. It was fun. I'm going to say again, Dan Aykroyd and Chevy Chase. I mean, you really can't go wrong there. Um, but pretty well done. Um, is it a 10? No, it's not. But you know what? Not everything you watch has to be a 10. Does it, it, The scores ultimately don't matter. You either enjoyed yourself or you didn't. And with this one, I enjoyed myself. Kind of like Dr. Giggles. I enjoyed myself. I I enjoyed the fact that I got done with the movie and I was like, this was not the fucking movie I meant to pick. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Um, but... You know, we'll leave that for, well, no, I don't have a next, I already picked my next pick. So if we can somehow stretch September into five weeks, we can throw the dentist at the end. <laughs> that was the movie I meant to pick. God damn it. <laughs> oh, well, that's, uh, that's just the way the cookie crumbles. Ah, uh, yep. That's, that's okay. You know, it's, it was, yeah. it was bound to happen at some point. So, you know, it is I had I had to fuck up sometime. It's, I did. I had, so it's I I accept you for it. It's okay. We can move on. <laughs> I'm just I'm still okay with the fact that Black Demon was not my pick. Just yeah. for the record. Well, so. we also didn't okay. do an episode on it. <laughs> there was a reason. Yeah. Because it was fucking awful. Uh, yeah. So that that is true, but uh to each their own. Yes. We uh we own up to our mistakes. That's the important thing. <laughs> but yes, we regardless, yes. we definitely had more fun with this one, just comparison sakes to uh to the Black Demon. But oh, uh yeah. but anyway, so again, reminder: next week, pathology uh for handle with scare. Next week, we'll be streaming it on Kick on Tuesday, seven thirty p.m. Pacific time. But for now, that will do it for us here tonight on Handle with Scare. Again, thank you so much for joining us here tonight. I've been your host, Timely Drunk, joined as always by my co-host, Grindhouse Zombie. And we'll see you guys back in a week. Take care.